The CC Way, episode 23, with Ryan Muncy. Out of the night that covers me, black as the pit from pole to pole, I thank whatever gods may be for my unconquerable soul. In the fell clutch of circumstance, I have not winced nor cried aloud. Under the bludgeonings of chance, my head is bloody but unbowed. Beyond this place of wrath and tears looms but the horror of the shade. And yet the menace of the years finds and shall find me unafraid. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. This is The Sisu Way, a show about grit, gratitude, character, philosophy, fitness, leadership, service, and what it means to choose strength. My name is Scott McGee. I'm a family man, friend, thinker, guardian, and a mindful warrior with an open mind on a path of gratitude and service who loves to connect with unconquerable souls. Now that poem, Invictus, the word Invictus, meaning unconquerable or undefeated in Latin, is a poem by William Ernest Henley, and the poem was written while Henley was in the hospital being treated for tuberculosis of the bone, also known as Pott's disease. He had the disease since he was very young, and his foot had been amputated shortly before he wrote the poem. Uh, the poem is about courage in the face of death and holding on to one's own dignity despite the, the, the adversity life places before us. It's also the poem that I initially started this show with on episode one for Dad. And it's because it was a, it was a, a poem that I presented to him while he was battling cancer. So it's back here on, on episode 20, 22. Ah, 23. I also found out years later that his friend, uh, Robert Louis Stevenson, based the character Long John Silver, a peg-leg pirate in the, in the novel Treasure Island, on Henley. A little fun fact for everybody. But the point in sharing this is also it's, uh, it's one of Ryan and I's favorite poems and discussed in his book, F Your Feelings. I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say F your feelings because I know there's some kids out there. But kids, it's F asterisk CK. And uh, you adults know what's up. Um, so in the book, Ryan refers to you being the master of your ship and the captain of your soul, which leads us to the lesson of this episode is how do you take action and responsibility for your life in an, intent, in an intentional way and to not let your subconscious get in the driver's seat? How do you learn to create an unbeatable mind that provides the fortitude, grit, sisu, invictus, mental toughness to overcome adversity and see things through? How do you heighten your awareness? How do you take control? How do you wake up, slam your foot into the ground, bang your shield, and know that strength is a choice? A, co a coach once told Ryan, if you want more, you need to help more people. Ryan also said that if you've enjoyed the book and found value in it, you should consider giving a copy to people you care about. And well, uh, I deeply care about the listener and, and the people listening and the, and the people that will listen in the future. And so this is more than three people. So it's a little bit of a gift for the listener, but also a, a gift for, for me to have you on the show. And something we've been talking about doing for a long time, but lucky me, I get to have you on at my house on my podcast. This is so cool. Now, For the listeners, you guys know how I feel about bios, but I want to read this in case you don't know who Ryan is. He's the co-founder and podcast host of at the Better Human Project, 
He's a high-performance consultant, author, and a speaker. A scientist by training, he has also worked as a fitness model, nutritionist, gym owner, and corporate wellness consultant. He currently lives in the home state of Virginia with his wife, Donna, who is an, an internal medicine physician. Ryan's consulting clients include Olympic athletes, special forces operators, entrepreneurs, C-level executives around the world. And so for more info on him, ryanmuncie.com. Now, that's your bio, right? That's what it says on this piece of paper. For those people that don't necessarily know um, or don't recognize the name right away yet. But I read it and it made me think about something. And it made me think, like, those are the things that you do, but it doesn't necessarily describe you. And I started thinking about what, what does describe a person or what, what like, makes a person. And then it kind of hit me. And I was like, it's, our, it's moments. It's the moments that make you. And there's moments in time that develop your character. Mm-hmm. And knowing that, you talk about some of them in the book, but can you share some of the moments that have made the person made you the person that you are coming out swinging, aren't you? That's passive. I thought I I could have gone a a different direction, but, but I actually meant that because yeah, no, I, I, first of all, I, I mean, everything that that you've already said is, uh, amazing. And and I feel like I have so much to live up to already just in, in what you've read and, uh, the passages that you've chosen to share in the intro. And, um, I'm grateful for the opportunity to be here and, in your house and speaking with you and on this podcast. And, um, yeah, I think as I think through that, it relates to what you were saying about moments. I mean, you know, who am I? Well, I'm just a guy who is about to try to show up with everything I have to live up to all the things you just said. And I think that's sort of a microcosm of the question you asked is, you know, for whatever for whatever reason, for the last six or seven years, I've been, I shouldn't say for whatever reason, I know the reason, I've had some mentors and read some books that, you know, talk about legacy building and, you know, you are writing your own eulogy. You know, when you're gone, people will think of you and speak of you in the way that you live your life. You know, we have the ability to shape how that conversation goes by the way that we move through the world every single day. And those moments, every single moment is a choice. How will you show up? How will you move through the world? And my intention at every possible opportunity is to try to do that in a way that will make me proud that I can look back on and say, I did the best I could for my current level of development and I'm always trying to level up what that current level of development is. If we were at the beach casually playing and I just took a moment and I stuck my heel in the sand and I dug a line and I looked at you and said, Ryan, what are you going to do? What memories come to mind? (laughs) I think you know exactly what comes to mind. Um, It's in the preface of the book. And what's really amazing about this story is I actually had the chance to speak with Mark Devine two days ago when we talked about this. But um, in 2012, um, I officially got the LLC for my gym. It was called House of Strength. And I joined a, what I thought was a business mastermind. 
And um, I thought it was going to teach me how to, you know, build the gym that I wanted and get all the members I wanted and make the money that, you know, everybody talks about making. And uh, what I quickly found out was the man who led that mastermind, his name is Paul Reddick. And I say this now, I've said it to him, I've said it on other shows when I've had the opportunity to have him on as a guest that aside from my father, he's the man who has had the biggest influence on my life. And the things I learned had nothing to do. We learned all the tactics, all the things for business, true. But he helped mold me into the man that I needed to be in order to run the business that I wanted to run. You know, you can't help people if you don't have certain capabilities. You, you, can't, um, you can't do for others, you know, if you don't have the capacity to offer the things that they need. And that was not something that I knew that I was walking into. Um, he eventually, uh, became the, uh, I don't know if it's the business coach, but he did some business consulting and coaching with seal fit and Mark divine. And, uh, we were afforded the opportunity to participate in the first, um, what they call 20 X challenge. It was a 12 hour crucible event. Uh, it was the first one done outside of California. So we were in, um, uh, New Jersey on the Jersey shore and it actually happened to be, it's six years ago this month and it was two or three days after the events in Benghazi. So it was actually a really, really heavy time. Um, which also happens to be like two or three days after September 11th anniversary. I think it was September 15th, 2012 was the day we did it. And this was an event led by two retired Navy SEALs. Uh, if you're not familiar with SEAL Fit, you know, it was started by former Navy SEAL commander, Mark Devine. And the moment that you're referring to um, was at the end of the day. We started at 6 a.m. We didn't know that it was a 12 hour event. We just, they just said, show up and be ready. So I didn't know if it was the last thing or if there were 20 more hours of this, you know, so without knowing where the finish line is, that pacing is, uh, and, and that, that's part of the, the point of the event, mm -hmm. right? Is they want to break you physically and then teach you that you can continue to go mentally. And, we had what turned out to be the last, what they call evolutions. Um, and the way that the event is lined up is that there's, a, there's something that you do that is a physically and mentally demanding task, and then they would allow us to recover, and they would actually break down what we did and, and provide some education and instruction. And this was the last evolution, and, and you know assignments were being handed out, and I was just kind of standing there, and, and I was literally shivering so much that my teeth were chattering and everything was cramping. Um, my body did not work. It wanted to shut down and I had been told to do something and I didn't move. And it wasn't that it was an act of defiance. It was just, my brain couldn't process what I wanted to do. It was almost like it was too tough of a decision to, to figure that out. And, you know, everything in my body and in my head was screaming, stop. Part of the, what influenced that as being an option was the fact that two other guys were physically at a point where our instructors told them, no, we're not going to allow you to do this because 
we don't think you're in a position physically to do it. So I knew that there were two guys that were going to sit this out. They were going to be given some physically less demanding task. And I think, you know, had that not been shown as an option, I may not have had that hesitation. But I, I was actually thinking about asking if I could sit that out and do that. And, and I guess my hesitation, my inaction caused Coach Brad McLeod to take his heel and he drew a line in the sand and he just looked right at me. And so when you do seal fit, your last name is written, you wear a white t-shirt and your last name is written on it. And he just looks at me, he's like, Muncie, what are you going to do? It's like, you don't have to do it. It was just the way the inflection in his voice and the way he said, you don't have to. He was challenging me. He wanted to know who are you? What are you made of? Uh, are you going to do this? And I didn't even think about it. It was just the way he said it. I just stepped across and was like, oh shit, what do I have to do now? And you know, the rest of that event, whatever that evolution was, it must have lasted another, I don't know, it was probably 30 to 40 minutes of physical pain, but it changed my life. And I'm forever grateful for that challenge and the decision that I made. Dude, that's, that whole thing has so many little lessons in it. I'm like smiling because, um, one, the body's involuntary things make me laugh like shivering yeah i think shivering is hilarious i think throwing up is funny i don't these things are like you just sit there like <laughs> like i'm not doing this here i am shaking this is kind of funny yeah uh and then it kind of i don't know if that mindset you think it it reframes the thought now you're like you're not a victim anymore mm-hmm. uh also the the a couple of other things i want to highlight is that they're, they're trying to break you physically, right? And so when people, someone gets broken or, or, well, it could be emotionally too, but let's just say physically breaks you into little pieces. It's like there are gaps. And then in those gaps, that is where the light comes through. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes we kind of like avoid letting the light come through. Mm-hmm. Into, and, and so instead of avoiding, you got to send it. You got to move your feet. You got to keep moving forward. You got to hold your shield up and just go for it. Um, the other thing is seeing those other guys kind of get a free pass is an option of escape mm-hmm. or it's an option of an excuse. It's an option of weakness. And so those little things, that's also why I use the hashtag sometimes be the example. I know it's not just me that does it, but all, all points in life is to keep that in mind. And I keep that in mind with my kids. Mm-hmm to continue to do things because I don't want them to look at me and think it's okay to, to quit or okay to think weakness or okay to come up with an excuse or okay mm-hmm. not to have accountability. So, so all these things are, you know, I was going to ask you, um, like if you yielded to a two part question, right. Of your moments, but then also is going to lead into, and the story kind of leads into this is, and that is who are you? And then what does it mean to be a man? Now we've, we've touched on it, right? Those are, I know you're like, those are like super not easy things to answer, but you already said showing up. So I think showing up is a big component, not just showing up, but being ready. Cause early in the story, you said showing up and being ready. Yeah. You didn't know like, here I am. I'm ready. Whatever it takes. Right. Just taking the, the accountability and the ownership of your actions to step forward and to be there with effort and the ability to say that and 
accepting whatever happens mm-hmm. and then making the decision to do something about it. That right there in itself is a pretty good like thing where, where, when a boy becomes a man, I think. Just those, those qualities. And it all happens right there on the beach. Were you all, uh, at this point, were you all Sandy? Oh my gosh. I, sugar, I, I, sugar cookie? We did tons of sugar cookies. I mean, this was probably, this probably happened at 4.30 or 5 p.m. And we started at 6 a.m. By 10 a.m., we were physically broken. Everything was cramping. Uh, I remember getting my first abdominal cramp, not a stitch, but mm-hmm. actually abs cramped, which if you've ever experienced that, it's agonizing. I remember that at 10 o'clock and I remember thinking, oh man, I'm done. This is going to be a long day. Um, yeah, sugar cookies. And uh, I have, I still have a scar on my ankle from sand in my boots, uh, you know, and, and it, it like chafing. Did. So it's a great reminder. But yeah, I was plenty sandy and plenty tired. First of all, those people that if you have not had those abdominal cramps, you have not lived. Because <laughs> there's, there's something about that, that abdominal cramp that is tremendously teaches you the lesson in how important like, that, that ab muscle is. For, actually, the first time that happened to me, I thought I broke my rib. Really? I didn't know what it was. Yeah. I felt, you know, kind of like yeah. rolls. Oh, there's there's such a deformation yeah. of your like what you think your torso is supposed to yeah. look like. Yep. Yeah. That just happened to me the other day. I was just trying to foam roll. I just wanted to foam roll my back, and it just lit up on me. And I rolled over on my stomach. You know, I'm sitting there trying to focus, relax, and breathe. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, luckily I was just me by myself. So, yeah, yeah it's also happened on the. Uh, in the private room, going number two, got mm. me there once. Mm. Yeah, it's a funny little. I need to drink more water, basically. Is yeah. What I'm saying. Yeah. So we were talking about. Um, obviously, we 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 mentioned what does it mean to be a man, and I also want to I also want to open that up a little bit. Yeah. Because I don't want to say just be a man, because I I don't want it kind of alienates a little bit, but I think what is, I think those things, um, you make a good human. Mm-hmm. Right, mm-hmm. and then there's obviously another level um, on top of that when you start thinking about other people. Uh, additionally, uh, in your book, and I'm glad this said you said this a whole bunch of times, and that was highlighting that you can control your attitude and your effort. If somebody figures that out, that's like another another like moment in their life. And you know yours was on the beach, that particular one, and and realize how powerful you are. You are when you realize that you are in control of your attitude and effort. Mm-hmm. Do you, is there any other moments? Because you had the moment on the beach, but is there anything else that kind of stands out in your life that kind of you know bumped you in this direction? Certainly, um, you know, the the mentor that we mentioned earlier, Paul Reddick. There's a there's a quote. It's in the book, and it's something that. Um, you know, when I first showed up to that mastermind, I was surrounded by men, uh, humans who were a little bit further along in their um, evolution and growth than I was. And uh, it became a running joke the longer I stayed in the group, how badly they beat me up that first meeting. Uh, I had a lot to learn. And one of the things that was said, and I don't know if it was the first meeting or, or if it was said to the entire group at a, at a larger meeting, um, but it's the quote, your life is perfectly designed for the results that you are currently getting. And 
I love that because it shows you that if you want something different, you have to do things differently. Um, you know, that you are not the victim that, you know, you have the choices you've made, the, the way you spend your time, which is something that I am very keenly focused on. You know, how do I spend my time? Uh, because ultimately that will be what determines, you know, the life that I have in three months, six months, six years, uh, how I'll be remembered. Right. Um, so I think that was a really profound moment for me as well. Did you, when you said they beat you up, were you guys working out? No. Um, the way the meetings work, you get like an hour in front of eight to 10 guys and you go up and you present the thing that you think you need the most help with. And when I say they beat me up, it was, it was a, it was a growing up. Like yeah. uh, you, they showed me, how much I needed to learn in order to become the person I needed to be in order to have the impact I wanted to have, not only with the gym I was trying yep. to build, but you know, the life that I wanted to live. Did you know that was going to happen? No, no. They thought I was going to quit. Well, good. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's what you need. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. And you know, part of the, that group's ethos, um, were and are that, all progress starts with the truth. And if I'm telling you the truth, even if it's painful, it's coming from a place of love because I'm trying to help you grow. And that if we can't do that, if we can't bring that into a relationship for a friend, uh, a partner, whoever, that, you know, we're holding back from, you know, being there for them in a way that they need us to be there. Yep. Uh, so, they weren't, they weren't going to hold back because they didn't know if I was able to receive it. It was up to me yep. to figure out if I could receive it and do something with it. That is, um, uh, that concept I kind of struggle with in relationships because the way I see it is you have truth and you have communication. Mm. And again, like it's up to that person how to receive it. Like if I went, if it was raining out and I went inside and, or, and I told someone, Hey, it's raining out and they get upset with me about it. I'm like, I don't understand. I'm just providing you information on the facts. Like this is the perception I'm having. It's raining out. Why are you mad at me? Do you want me to tell you it's sunny out? Right. The, the, that whole, and in fact, that's the, uh, something that's interesting that I'm, the part that I'm reading now in the four agreements and they're talking about being impeccable with your word mm -hmm. and truth. Mm-hmm. In fact, they just, I was just reading some interesting things about what it's saying about uh, attention mm -hmm. and currency and what you pay attention to is what you, what you value. I don't know, man. I've got a lot of stuff to talk about. Um, another thing that I want to highlight before we get into nuts and bolts here is how do you measure success? So this is, this is a, um, an individual conversation but like you have a book, right? Just the fact that you wrote a book is a tremendous deal, right? Mm -hmm. Huge success. Mm -hmm. Just to be able to formulate this stuff and get it all on paper and actually into a physical copy right here from your, your brain housing you know, system into my hand. Right. So just doing that in itself is a success. How many copies you sell is that 
a measure of success? It could be. It's not for me. I didn't think it would be. Right. So there's a great quote. Uh, I mentioned this guy earlier before we sat down to record. A friend of mine is Chris Dancy. And um, he says it touches on what you were just saying, that uh, we don't know how to measure what we value. So we begin to value what we measure. And I'm sure with your background in fitness, you can see, you know, number of steps or, you know, your, your PRs or, or whatever. And, you know, these become things that we start to live by and define ourselves by because, you know, really then when, and I think that's what makes conversations like the ones you have on your show so important is that you're forcing people to say, okay, your squat PR doesn't define you. Um, the number of copies that your book sells doesn't define you, you know, that's what you do. That's a bio on paper, but it's not who you are. Right. And it is very difficult to measure the things that really mean the most. Um, so to your question about success, uh, I was asked this recently and I I think I really loved my answer. So I'm going to try to answer it the same way, (laughs) but (laughs) it's to me, it's, it's being able to pass the rocking chair test. You know, when I'm, if I'm fortunate enough to live to be 80, 90, hundred years old, um, you know, and I'm sitting in my rocking chair reflecting on my life, will I be ready to go? Will I be content with the life that I lived? And I think the, the, the change that I've made to that, because I think that makes one massive assumption that I just alluded to, that I will actually make it to that stage of my life, um, or that my life will last that long. Um, So, so the mini version of that is every single night when I put my head on my pillow, um, you know, we've all had those sleepless nights with, you know, thoughts racing through our brain. And and I'm not saying that, that I don't have those nights, but we also all know the feeling of having a really, really great day where you put in a lot of work and you did some things that you're proud of and you sleep well, you know, you lay down, you can just shut it down and, and sleep well. And you know, that's sort of the, the daily check-in for me is at the end of the day, am I proud of the way that I moved through the world? Am I proud of the way I spent my time? Um, and I, I shouldn't even say proud, but am I content, you know, with my own measure of that? So I, I touch on this in the book that I don't think success should ever be something that is defined by external factors. Um, we should all define intrinsically what success means to us and, I think true happiness, if there is a thing like that, if we can find it, it is, it comes from, you know, pursuing it's, it's the pursuit. It's not the actual reaching of, but it is the pursuing of the things that you are most passionate about and and the things, you know, your values and the way that you want to move through life. So to me, success is being able to stay on that path. Yep. So in, in the, in your book, uh, I think one of the notes I wrote was highest self. And then I followed the, I followed it up with, and you just touched on it was happiest self. Mm. And then, uh, I also highlighted health, happiness, and performance. Almost like, um, when people are asking me about training programs or nutrition programming programs or what to eat, what not to eat, I'm like, just do it and then evaluate how you look, feel, and perform. And if that makes you happy, then do that. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's not super uh, super difficult, right. but it is. That's the, that's the, that's the whole paradox there. 
But I was thinking, you know, because, um, you know, reading your book on, on heart rate variability and vagal tone and even I watched that TED talk that you referred to on, on consciousness. Mm-hmm. I forget his last name. Tomasio. There we go. Yeah. And he was talking about all the things that you can measure within the body. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking, I was like, can you measure happiness? I don't have the answer to that. But a lot of the stuff that he was talking about made me think, because we're talking about how can you measure it? I was like, I wonder if you can actually measure that in vitals. I don't know. I think heart rate variability may be the closest thing we have to that right now because the oversimplification of what HRV is, is the amount of time spent in sympathetic versus parasympathetic. Most of the things that we think of as happiness or, or activities that make us happy are things that are in the parasympathetic state. Um, or if we looked at it another way, uh, something that Stephen Porges would describe as, um, uh, something that comes from safety. So Stephen Porges is the scientist who discovered that we have a variability between our heart rate or our heartbeats. So he's the scientist credited with discovering heart rate variability and we will never be in a parasympathetic state if we don't feel safe. That's the definition of fight or flight is you don't feel safe. You have to react or respond to something. So if you think about times when you're happy, you know, whether it's sitting around the Christmas tree with your family or going camping or, you know, throwing baseball with your son, these are all activities that would not be done in the presence of a threat. So somewhere in there is, those are all things that we do in a pair, they're parasympathetic activities. Mm -hmm. So if we were able to measure happiness, I'm not saying that, that this is the answer, but maybe the closest thing we have is heart rate variability because you're spending more time, the higher your HRV, the more time you're spending in parasympathetic state. Uh, circling back when I, when you brought up, um, the, the rocking chair, mm-hmm. I was, I was, I started making a note here cause I was going to challenge you there. And then you brought it back up to the day cause like you're assuming you're going to live that long mm-hmm. and, um, and, and making sure you're happy in the now, like right now. Mm-hmm. I, I try not to, to assume anything or take anything for granted. Uh, I, I, I think that's the worst thing we can do. Uh, I think to think that way without bringing it back to that daily mm-hmm. check-in is to take today for granted, tomorrow for granted, to assume that I will live to be however old I am in that rocking chair. And I think in not taking that for granted, it gives me a sense of urgency with every interaction, every opportunity, every day um, to make sure that, you know, if I'm not here, that I made the most of, you know, the time that I was here. Have you heard me talk about the 85 year old challenge? No. Okay. Um, in part it has to do a little bit with the poster up here, mental Mori, remember mm-hmm. that you will die. Mm-hmm. Right. And then being, being aware of that now, mm-hmm. also that you can go right now. Mm-hmm. And I see that way too much actually. Mm-hmm. So the 85 year old, um, challenge here is, is, is if you're meditating or somewhere quiet is that you can go there now and to really, really think hard 
as if you're 85 years old mm-hmm. or pick an age, whatever resonates with you. And then think about how your feet feel. How do your knees feel? Are you able to stand? Can you go to the bathroom yourself? Do your hands shake? What do you smell like? Are you wearing a diaper? Can you see, can you read the newspaper, which might not be around in however long, but, uh, who's at your house? Are you alone? Do you have a cat? Like who's visiting you? What sounds do you hear? Can you hear? And really think about what that would feel like. And then what you're feeling then now reflect on your life in that moment. And then think about getting up, think about going to get the newspaper, all these little things like getting off the toilet. Can you make it to the toilet? And think hard about it and then zip right back into the present and how amazing it feels and how lucky you are. And then now that you've gone back in time, what are you going to do with it? You've been giving a brand new gift of life. It changes things. Mm -hmm. You start seeing colors. I've talked about the leaves blowing off the tree. I'm like, that leaf is amazing. It grew from a little seed in the dirt. Uh, The sounds of my kids. The ability to get up and walk. Like I can get off the couch right now and walk. That's awesome. Yeah. Just that, set, oh my gosh. Because that goes away super quickly. I've, I've had back problems and I can't just get up off the couch and walk sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, or rolling, being able to, you wake up in a bed with cozy comforter. That right, th- that right that's awesome. And then being able to sit up comfortably and stand up. Like right away I'm launching my day in gratitude. Mm-hmm. And then being completely rooted in gratitude, uh, deeply rooted in, in gratitude and what that, how that resonates for the rest of your day and the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. And if you have that mindset and you're thinking how much you can live in every moment. So that's the 85 year old challenge. It reminds me of uh, a phrase, appreciation, not expectation. So, so many of us wake up with an expectation for what is to happen today, you know, and the appreciation, not expectation is sort of a way that I can check myself and, you know, like you said, be grateful for this bed that I slept in, you know, or this roof that's over my head and the opportunity to do whatever is on my schedule for that day, not, you know, the expectation of have to get to must whatever. Yep. There's, there's two guys I've had on the show that talk about that and that has resonated with me, um, well forever now. And you've got to get them. You've had Tate on, mm-hmm. obviously. So Tate goes without saying. But another one you got to have on is Traver Bohm. Okay. And he has a he has a TED talk. I mean, he just did another one, a TED talk on uh, called "Pain Is My Guru." Okay. Super interesting. He spent like twenty eight days in Guatemala in a, like no uh, in a little clay hut with no sound, no light. Wow. Um, he spent months in the Utah wilderness. Um, fascinating dude. You'll absolutely love him. Mm-hmm. But both of those guys, super badass. Oh, by the way, they also happen to both be uh, former MMA fighters. I didn't even think about that. I guess the thing, but like I'm thinking about how they've taught me about humility, appreciation, gratitude. And I forgot that they're both like extremely badass and can kick all of our asses. But, you know, Tate also, he has a quote, I'm going to paraphrase it here, but he talks about how you have to ditch your, if you want to learn, if you want to grow, you have to get rid of your defense mechanisms mm-hmm. and then be deeply rooted in appreciation and gratitude. And then that helps alleviate your super special ex- expectations of what life is supposed to give to you. 
if you get rid of that, then you realize how much appreciation you have, and then everything is a gift. Absolutely. Yeah, expectation's evil. It is. Um, I want get, to start getting into a little bit of the hows here. How? Sure. Like, how do we positively alter our mental state? So, I'm going to see if I can articulate this in a way that will satisfy me. Most of us are just like little drones going about our day. We're not woke. You know, we haven't awoken ourselves. Mm. Um, and that type of, and I was one of them and had some things that helped me along the path. And I'm still trying to wake myself up. Not done. But waking up and then uh, realizing your potential and your awareness. When somebody starts to wake up, I kind of think it creates a thirst for potential. Mm. Oh, man. I can do this now. I'm in control. And then that thirst for potential and growth is what the path is. Then eventually become, go on this path. Mm-hmm. It's probably why it's probably happening to all the listeners that listen to this podcast right now. Mm-hmm. We're all on this quest and on this path together. Um, and in between wants and effort or uh, the end goal, there's like this space. So that little space there is where it's up to us. And so hopefully this conversation moving forward, we'll figure out how to do that or how to build the ability to keep moving forward, how to build emotional resilience. Mm-hmm. Um, or really, how do you build grit? That's a whole other topic. Uh, for the listeners, check out Grit, Angela Duckworth, or, or even just Google it. You'll see how important grit is for Everybody, including kids. Grit's more important than intelligence. Mm-hmm. I've talked about this a bunch of times, but I think, I think like, I'm going to keep talking about it because yeah. it should be a point. But a lot of people are like, how do you build grit? Or how do you build emotional resilience? And not only how, but understanding how it actually works. And so this is where it's important. And I, and I know you're nodding your head, and I want you to go dive into this, but... For me, reading this stuff, I didn't. I was not aware of the different parts of the brain. Mm. Okay, so I mean, I was, but I didn't understand it like I do now. Right. And that understanding and that awareness is where it creates more choice, right? More power, more influence of myself mm-hmm. if I understand what's going on. Mm-hmm. And so, before we get into the how and the behavior modification stuff, I think it's going to be important to talk about how the brain makes a decision. And to go a little bit more for the listeners, this is the way I I interpreted or I related the information is that there's always this mental chatter going on. Mm -hmm. There's voices in your head, sometimes two. And this is not, I'm I'm not referring to the actual um, mental illness. I'm not talking about schizophrenia. I'm not talking about people that, you know, hear voices. I'm talking about like a normal conversation that goes on in your head. And it's not just an actual conversation. There's actually different parts of your brain battling and doing tug of war. And I didn't realize that. And that you can, through awareness and some behavior modification and some, some gratitude, that you can kind of change who's in the driver's seat. Right. So with that, how does a brain make a decision? <laughs> so I was nodding because as you were going through that, I was kind of formulating my answer in my head. And I was you know, thinking, okay, the first thing we have to do is start with understanding what is going on then we can it's just like in the fitness world we both have that background before we can improve a certain capacity we sort of have to understand 
what it means and, and what's going on there. But also backing up again to your question earlier about success, you know, I don't care how many copies the book sells, but I feel a measure of success for having created this. If somebody like you can read it and have the understanding and the insights that you had that you just described, like that to me is what is most important to be able to know that this thing that I spent time on and worked on can have a positive impact on somebody like you or anybody else who picks it up and reads it. That was my intention. Oh, tremendously. I was, I was uh, a couple days ago, I was on my computer. I'm studying the prefrontal cortex and the limbic system. Yeah. I was looking at MRI images. It's a, it's a giant yeah. rabbit hole, right? Oh my gosh. And yep. so uh, this is, you know, again, before we hit record, we were sort of talking about how we weave all of this in together. And, you know, I sent you when, when we first got this set up, I sent you a, a picture of the, the t-shirt, the very first t-shirt that I made for my gym house of strength. And the back of it had Sisu, just large letters down the full length of the back and nobody knew what it meant. And I really, I immediately regretted putting that on a t-shirt because everything was like, what is SISU? They thought it was like Southern Illinois State <laughs> University. And I'm like, no, no, no. So um, what I've realized, and, and sort of, this is a tangent, but I promise we'll come back to understanding decision-making um, because this tangent, I think, sets up my, yeah. um, my intrigue and, and my fascination with that is that you know, my degree is in nutrition. I've, I've helped people with dietary changes, uh, for years, um, the health and fitness space, it's all transformation, right? And it involves behavior change. Ultimately, if we were to have success in, in any endeavor, business relationships, uh, in the gym, in the kitchen, whatever it involves behavior change. It's not about the information. A lack of information isn't the thing that holds people back. And the longer I did these surface level things, fitness, nutrition, whatever, the more I became frustrated with people's, I don't want to call it inability because I think that's using that word shows a lack of my vocabulary. And, and I'm fine to say that I don't have the vocabulary right now for that word, but people's inability to do the thing that they needed to do to get the result that they wanted. Maybe it is inability. I don't know. Um, but I just stopped caring about prescribing sets and reps or prescribing diets. I don't care how you eat. I don't care if it's paleo or keto or carnivore or whatever it is. The way to get the thing that you really want at the end of that is to be consistent over the long term with daily actions that are aligned with your values. And the book was sort of my synthesis of working with people who have been able to do that, overlaying it with the neuroscience, the, the research, what all the academics say is going on in our brain, and then looking at a Navy SEAL, an Olympic athlete, uh, whoever, and understanding, oh, this is the application of this stuff. Um, use an Olympic athlete because I think that's such a great example because the Olympics only occur every four years. It is no accident that one stands on the podium at the end of an Olympic competition. 
there are so many micro decisions that have to be made along the way to get to that point. There are so many opportunities to say, I don't feel like working out today. I don't feel like doing this. I don't feel like this. And you see the, the common thing there that could be leading you astray. And it is the word feeling, hence the title of the book. You mentioned the, uh, the researcher, uh, his name is Antonio Damasio and, um, his research shows that his research says 95%. We can debate that. How do you figure out exactly 95% of our decisions? That's not the thing to focus yeah. on, but a large majority, most of our decisions are made based on how we feel in any given moment. So again, this is why I titled the book what I did because I don't want to live a life. I am captain of my ship, right? I'm master of my fate, not my feelings, not my unconscious. And I think it's, it's understanding that first and foremost, that that is what's going on if we're not paying attention to it. And you see, like I'm starting to get fired up. I don't know if you can hear it, but I know you can see it. It's, that's the Sisu, right? That's the unconquerable, the, you know, I'm in control, not my short-term transient feelings. And if we are to live the life that we want to live, we have to make decisions that are in line with our values and our long-term goals, not this transient way that we feel right now. So then getting into, you know, what you said with, uh, as I started to explore this, and we'll try to start bringing this back to your question. Feelings, as I did the research, I, I talked to a lot of neuroscientists and, and had a lot of help from some great people in the academic world to help me define some of these things. So this is not my definition, but neuroscience defines feelings as a mental experience of a physiological state. And I think that alone is such a profound piece of information because it tells us right away that if we change our physical state, if we change our physiology, that we can alter our feelings. We can alter what's going on between our ears simply by changing our physiology. It goes both ways. It does go both ways. And that's where HRV and the vagus nerve comes in because the vagus nerve is what connects the gut and the brain. It innervates the heart, everything else. So you know, a lot of this is all tied in, but you know, you mentioned the limbic system. So here's the, the analogy I like to use here is, uh, is again, food related. It's my degree is there. I've got a lot of practice helping people in that space, but I think we've all been in that point where if you walk past, uh, the pizza place, um, you know, and they've got slices in the window, or if you, uh, walk past the, the bakery at whole foods and you see the fresh baked cookies, the immediate visceral response is, Oh my God, that smells good. I have to have some. And then half a second to a second later, we have a secondary response and it is, Oh, but I shouldn't, or, Oh, but I'm on a diet. Oh, but I'm gluten-free. Oh, whatever. The excuse or the, or the reason the rationale is not important. What's important is that there's a time lapse between those two and that we all have those two responses. And a lot of people would, will beat themselves up if they don't understand these systems because they don't want to have, they feel guilt or they feel bad about having that first initial response. That first initial response is the limbic system. It's wired for uh, survival. It's sort of like our, uh, it's an emotional ego driven teenager is the way I describe it. Um, and it's one of the parts of the brain that you mentioned that is in a constant tug of war. 
The other part is the prefrontal cortex, um, which is the higher, more evolved portion of our brain. Um, the limbic system is part of the primitive brain that has kept us alive for however many years you think humans have been around. Um, yeah, uh, uh, just for a little bit of location-based stuff, the way I, I uh, interpreted the, where the limbic system is, is, see, almost like if you were to reach your, 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 the middle of your ear, like the earlobe, mm-hmm. and then kind of go in from there. It, for the yeah, so, so there are a few different parts of the brain that, are, um, that make up the limbic system. Um, the main players being uh, the amygdala is one of them. And then that's actually where, uh, this is where it all gets really, really interesting, that um, a memory is fact tied to emotion. So if you think about a memory that is very strong, we have an emotional attachment with that memory. Uh, and it's the amygdala that sort of assigns good or bad uh, to that particular memory. Um, and a lot of this is how some of, uh, it's, it's how Damasio figured a lot of this out in the beginning is, uh, his original patient had an injury to the ventromedial prefrontal cortex, and he couldn't make a simple decision. Couldn't even decide where to go for lunch because he couldn't assign good or bad to his choices, uh, or, or his options. And that left him in this endless loop. So, it's not, you know, the, the point with the book is not to say that feelings are bad and that we should ignore them or shouldn't pay attention to them. Rather, be aware of them and make sure that they're not subconsciously guiding you down the wrong path. So you have the limbic, limbic system feelings, and that is, sits a little bit lower in towards the center of the brain, mm-hmm. and the prefrontal cortex is higher part, more towards the front part of your skull. Right. Just to get a little... Yeah. So it's almost like it it was newer and built on top of in addition to, right. And, um, paleo mammalian brain is the, uh, limbic system. You did your homework. See, this is what I do, man. I learn. I figure I'm like, Oh, I'm interested. And then I go down. So tangent, that's why I podcast. It's the greatest like learning opportunity in the world, isn't it? Yep. Yeah. There's also pressure and a desire to do it right. Right. Cause I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't know if all, probably not, let me be safe here, that all podcast hosts actually are, are deeply interested and invested in the content of mm-hmm. for their guests and listeners. Right. I don't know. Maybe it's just I'm super interested. Right. So. I, I think we're on the same page with that. Yep. Um, so. The, picking up where? Uh, prefrontal cortex feelings, uh, amygdala. Okay. So, so the prefrontal cortex, if the, if the limbic system is the emotional ego driven teenager, then the prefrontal cortex is more like the, the sage who can provide, uh, the, the limbic system is incapable of thought beyond the now prefrontal cortex can have abstract thought. And, uh, it's the one that can say, no, that pizza or those baked goods are not in line with my values. Uh, or whatever the thing is, right? Uh, I'm going to show up to this 6 a.m. workout and do the thing that I hate so that I can win an an Olympic medal, right? And that's where awareness comes in. It's being aware that this is our biology. This is how we're wired. It's primitive. It's kept us alive. So an example of it keeping us alive is you and I are walking down a path in the woods and let's say a snake crawls out in front of us or if your son was with us, right? Your immediate response would be to put your 
hand, you know, the, the stop, the stop short, right? Your hand goes in front of him and holds him back. And then you say, you know, stop, watch out snake. But your response, your reaction happens so much faster than your verbal processing, your verbal communication. And it's because verbal communication isn't part of our primitive or lizard brain. It's part of the neocortex. It's part of something that we've evolved over time. But the recognition of the threat and the thing that you need to do to stay alive happens faster than you can realize. It's almost a reaction, right? Not um, uh, an intentional action. So that's an example of how the limbic system can keep us alive. Where this comes into mindfulness and meditation and awareness is now understanding that that's not the world that we live in today. You know, we're not trying to escape saber-toothed tigers. It's up to us to bring an awareness to this and say, fine, I, I am a human being. I'm wired, you know, the same way any other human being is wired. I promise you, Oprah or Richard Branson or whoever, you know, fill in the blank with the person that you aspire to be, they don't have some biological difference from you. They're using what they have in a different way. And to me, that understanding was a huge check. But it's also incredibly powerful because it's permission to achieve whatever I want to achieve if I utilize my time properly and make the right choices. That's actually one of the reasons why I love that Southwest commercial. Boop, you are now free to move about the country. Okay, yeah. That, I mean, think about that. I mean, maybe not in flight, but now you are now free. Yeah. Just a little torn, little boop. Yeah. So, uh, well, so, and just to finish that, I mean, you said, you know, a potential name for the show was awareness creates choice. Mm-hmm. And so that's the rest of this is having awareness of this is what then gives us choice. So it, we have the choice to say, oh, okay, I'm going to eat that piece of pizza or no, I'm not going to. And that's why I say it, it starts with awareness, understanding, you know, being able to part of that understanding is being able to forgive ourselves, you know, not feeling guilty about having that initial thought, um, because I've seen so many people beat themselves up about, you know, that type of thing. And then yep. the, the idea then is that you have um, outlined what your values are, where you want to go, who you want to be. And then you have the choice to either do that or not do that. It seems like if you because one of the thoughts I have when you're talking about the path and the snake and is the OODA loop, right? Observe, orient, decide, act. And that happens super quick in the brain mm-hmm. um, or smelling the pizza. And it made me start thinking about, you know, uh, uh, Victor Frankl's quote, that I'm going to paraphrase here from uh, Man's Search for Meaning. And that is, you have stimulus and response, right? And in between that is space where you get to decide. Mm-hmm. But it seems like the way our brains are set up is that there's stimulus response, stimulus response a little bit. If I'm oversimplifying. No, I I would agree with that. I think it's, it's sort of like what you said earlier about, um, being woke or, or awakening. I think part of waking up part of being woke is realizing that you're never finished waking up. And it's just similar to this. Like it's, I think there's, there's an endless loop. There's always, stimulus response, stimulus response. And, and looking back and it's, it's not a, it's not a one-time deal. Yep. It seems like the stimulus response, you know, stimulus response by limbic stimulus 
response by prefrontal cortex. Mm-hmm. And then conversation, <laughs> you know, followed by decision, then action. Right. And in that space, before we make the decision, there's so many different conversations we can have. You could rationalize anything. And that's why for me, having these, you know, like if you were going to work with a company, you would have the company maybe outline their values and say, okay, as a, as an organization, what do we stand for? What do we do? What do we not do? Which is perhaps more important than what we do do. And I I find it fascinating that as individuals, we don't do that. Most individuals don't know who they are, what they stand for, um, where they will say no, um, and, and what they do want to do. And I think if we are able to do that, it makes those moments of choice much easier because you can just use your values as the screen or the filter to help decide which way to go because it could be an endless mm-hmm. loop without that. I feel like a company goal should be no rationalization. <laughs> Don't let, because so within those voices, right? And those voices, and there could be several, mm-hmm. but one of them. I always say, I say it's like the devil, you know, you have the devil and the angel Mm -hmm. to oversimplify the voices. And it seems like the devil voice most of the time is probably your limbic system kicking in. Mm -hmm. And so it helps almost like if you identify it, it might help with that. The having that awareness might help identify and then know it's there, expect it and know it's always in the car with you. Mm -hmm. Just don't let it in the driver's seat. Yeah. It's like that noisy little, schmuck in the back right can't get rid of him he's your sure. he's your schmuck <laughs> right you need that guy yeah, that's a that's a great analogy yeah you yeah. need him but just don't let him in the driver's seat right and just know he's tricky he's charismatic mm-hmm. he's gonna uh try and uh talk you into an excuse he's gonna he's gonna entice you with homemade cookies mm-hmm. he's gonna do what he can to feel good not necessarily to help you attain any of your goals right Right. He only cares about the now. Yeah. Incapable of thinking beyond the now. And that's the very thing that separates humans from other animals, right? The now. Yeah. We're, we, the ability to think animals aren't necessarily thinking about, you know, I mean, they might, yeah, they might be thinking about, Oh, winter's coming. I need to eat now. Right. Maybe so. Maybe I need to stock up on some acorns here. Okay. But that still affects the now. It does. Anyways. Yeah. Okay. Um, all right. So a few other things that I want to get into, and this is kind of like the, the nuts and bolts. I still want to, in fact, let's talk a little bit because I'm passionate. I talked about this in, um, I think it's episode 18 when I broke down the Wim Hof method, mm-hmm. uh, and is again, the vagus nerve and how it affects you because it has to do with the rest of the stuff. Also, I feel like that's the thing that should be taught in all schools. It should be. It's like it, I couldn't, like when I figured out what it is and I realized that like I've kind of been activating it like subconsciously anyways and how effective of a tool it is for just overall quality of life. Mm -hmm. I'm like, how how is this not a thing that everyone knows? Right. So, was it cranial nerve 10? That's correct. In fact, if you're listening... Because this is, maybe not when you're driving, but at some point in time, please do me a favor. Do us a favor. Google the, the, the vagus nerve, V-A-G-U-S, 
and then click on images or whatever and just look at it. Just having that awareness and understanding, you'll kind of it'll 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 put a little context to it. So, I've talked about it before, but can you tell the listeners what the vagus nerve is and how it affects you? Sure. The short answer is it is a two-way nerve, meaning that it carries information in both directions. Most nerves are either afferent or efferent, meaning they carry information to or away from the brain. Um, the vagus nerve is different in that it carries information in both directions. Uh, it's called the vagus nerve because it meanders and it comes from the Latin like vagus vagabond to meander, to wander. And it innervates almost every single important organ, you know, from our brain all the way down. And I kind of went down a rabbit hole when I was looking at those images too. And, and this is something I put in the book because I found it fascinating. You know, when I saw that it meandered and touched so many things, you know, I, I looked and said, you know, I wonder how this corresponds to the chakras, uh, to acupressure points and things like that. And what I found was that they all overlapped, which I hadn't discovered before, but I found that incredibly fascinating. Um, part of that, everything is everything mm -hmm. uh, kind of principle. Um, so, you know, we, we hear a lot recently about gut-brain connection. And um, what's really fascinating to me is that as far back as Charles Darwin, I mean, he was writing about, you know, this connection of uh, the heart and the brain sending information in both directions. And, I mean, if I could go back and have a conversation with anybody in history, he might be one of the guys. I mean, some of the stuff he figured out a long time ago was pretty insightful mm -hmm. just through observation. Uh, it's fascinating to me some of the things that he stumbled onto. Um, so that's a side note, but the the vagus nerve is the thing that is being measured uh, when we look at uh, vagal tone and heart rate variability are synonyms. So when we talk about heart rate variability, it is a measure of vagal tone, and. This ties into something that you brought up earlier that I, I don't think we fully covered was emotional resiliency. And what's fascinating is that there is research showing a direct correlation between vagal tone and emotional resiliency. So high vagal tone, synonymous with high heart rate variability, is synonymous with greater emotional resiliency. And the way that I describe this is sort of as bandwidth, right? Our emotional resiliency is our bandwidth to be able to deal with stuff, right? So we all know bandwidth in terms of internet, right? And, and how much data can you process? How much can you, you know, what's your speed of download, all that stuff. It's a very finite capacity. And when it's gone, it's gone, right? So you brought up sleep earlier as something that's important. Sleep is one of the things that has the most profound and acute impact on vagal tone, heart rate variability, emotional resiliency. And a great example of that is you've probably had many sleepless nights in the last few years, you know, after the birth of your kids. You know, any new parent will tell you, you know, a lack of sleep is no fun. Anybody who's taken a red eye flight or for whatever reason had a sleepless night you know from experience that the day after is a very tough day. Um, we are irritable. We are uh, slower to make 
decisions. Uh, we're foggier. We're just not ourselves. And I think that's a great tangible example for people to say, oh, that's what low vagal tone feels like or low HRV. I can now correlate a subjective feeling or experience to this thing that we're talking about, right? And I think that's why I love that example is I, I want people to, to have an experience to match with this. So we talk about, you know, the, the, the question posed is how do we improve emotional resiliency? And one of the ways that we can protect it um, to keep our bandwidth high is to do things that keep HRV and vagal tone as high as possible. So again, like think back to, you know, that sleepless, the day after the sleepless night, our bandwidth is much, it's, it's much more reduced on those days than it is after a great night's sleep, right? So our ability to deal with stuff, um, our decision-making is compromised. And that gives us insight into if we are to move through life with greater emotional resiliency that we need to protect vagal tone or HRV. So again, more time in the parasympathetic state, uh, which really equates to turning off the defenses, which is exactly what Stephen Porges said. You know, he's again, the guy who he's, he's actually the positor of polyvagal theory. So he's the first person that figured out that the vagus nerve in modern science mm -hmm. goes both ways. And he's also, again, the guy who discovered heart rate variability. And it's funny, I got to interview him. Uh, it's been a little over a year ago. And when I interviewed him, he said um, the first time he told his colleagues about heart rate variability, they laughed at him. And they told him that it, the, the variations in his data were from bad measurements. They called him a bad scientist. So think about that. What if he had accepted that at face value and just said, oh, and threw that data away? How far would, would that have set science back? Or, or when would someone have discovered that again? So, you know, we owe him a debt of gratitude for, for so persisting. So he had high heart rate variability. Yeah. He had to have been. He had to. Same thing with Thomas Edison and Benjamin Franklin. <laughs> and I can go on and on with that one. But, yeah. I, I mean, just... Yeah, yeah. Because the, the, the thing about the vagus nerve is important because it goes both ways. Mm -hmm. But... Um, it has feeling and that you can directly influence it. So that's going to be important coming up in some of the stuff when we talk about breath work and other things, right. because we can directly have an effect on it positively and negatively, but you can positively affect it. Right. And so I think that's why this is such an important piece of the conversation before we get into the Wim Hof stuff, because I think it, it gives a scientific background for some of what is being done when we do Wim Hof, whether it's the cold exposure or if someone chooses to do the breathing, um, you are assuming conscious control of what was once thought to be uh, an unconsciously controlled mechanism. So the ability to override the autonomic nervous system. Yep. And that's where mental mastery and you know, protection of uh, emotional resiliency you know, comes in. And it's the ability to... Um, as we've said in so many different ways already to, to show up and, you know, to, to be prepared, to be ready, no matter what life throws at you. And as a reminder for the listeners, uh, parasympathetic and sympathetic are, are branches of the autonomic nervous system. Sympathetic is think about that as your fight or flight. Mm -hmm. 
and parasympathetic is is your uh, rest or relaxed state to to simplify it best I can. Right. Absolutely. And I think back to uh, the the safety and the defenses. So with my conversations with with Dr. Porges, and again we we touched on this earlier that we will never fully be in a sympathetic or parasympathetic state if our defenses are activated. So you think about driving in traffic and, you know, we're out here in LA and, you know, I've, I've had a lot of friends move out here and say, you know, they didn't hate driving until they came out here. And when you drive around LA, you're on edge, you know, just because of the traffic. And and that happens in a lot of places too, not just LA, but that just happens to be where we are. But I think one of the things that I would challenge the listener is to try to bring more awareness to your daily life and identify the times that your defenses are activated. And I don't necessarily mean your ego. That, that is one way, right? Your, your, mm-hmm. your defenses around your ego and, and how we grow and learn, but also just defenses around, um, you know, let's, let's say you're, you're getting lunch and you're sitting outside on the street, you know, are you relaxed or are your defenses up, uh, in, in some form or fashion? Um, we we will never fully relax and be parasympathetic if we're in uh, defense activation mode. And that's a very important thing. And it, it goes into, uh, plays into the vagus nerve because it's a safety thing, right? So if we don't feel safe, we can't be parasympathetic. That goes into, um, you kind of talked about it earlier, like in a, in a business uh, context, but if you don't feel safe, you can't really excel and grow. I'm just throwing that out there. It's it's so true, and and I I talked about this in the book with um you know with with the environment at Deuce Gym, and um you, you see it in business a lot with uh, like corporations that take moonshots or I'm sure most people when you think of the corporate world you think of an environment where maybe the employee doesn't feel safe, not because of the line of work but because of the environment in the office. There's uh, inner office politics, there's, you know, backstabbing or, um, competition. And, and that does not create an environment for education and innovation. Yep. And same thing goes in a relationship. Mm-hmm. If you're not in a, if you're not in a supportive or safe relationship, you're stifling yourself. Mm-hmm. And that goes any context you plug that into, uh, it, it, it's the same thing. Right. Um, I also want to point something out and this is you talked about LA traffic, right? And the first thing is being on edge. Mm-hmm. So again, we're talking about awareness. Can I do anything about traffic? No. So I got to change myself. And so by knowing that, that this is, that's what I'm going to, I'm going to go to traffic. Now I get to go to traffic. I get to get my car. I get to listen to podcasts. I get to listen to TED talks and lectures and music. It's my time to like enjoy, to grow, mm-hmm. to enjoy the ability to drive. Um, now, are there other people out there that are knuckleheads? Yes. Do you get cut off? Yes. Do people almost hit you? Yes. But my immediate thing that I've started practice now, if somebody cuts me off, I need to go to a one, two breathing. So, uh, uh, inhale, let's just say four count, mm-hmm. exhale, eight count. Mm-hmm. Cause now I'm, Again, that, that limbic system is kind of like angry right now. Mm-hmm. And then I, oh, let me regulate it. Mm-hmm. And then not only that, I put a little bit of 
a little bit of sympathy onto that person. Mm-hmm. So now I think, oh my gosh, I can't, I feel bad for that person. They must be amped up. They must be in a hurry. They might be stressed out. If they have to do this type of action to affect somebody else, something must be going on with them. Right. So now change is driving. Mm-hmm. It's the point where like it's, now again, this is a practice, right? Right. You veer off this path a lot and all kinds of funny words come out of my mouth sometimes. Sometimes that one-two breath is not the first reaction. No. Yes, but but having the awareness to self-regulate is important. That's what it's all about. Yep. Right. And it's funny you, you mentioned the one-two breath and that can actually help segue from what we just said right back into you know where we want to go with Wim Hof yep. is that for breathing to be a parasympathetic activity the exhalation has to be longer than the inhalation. The inhalation is energizing and activating. The exhalation is the, the relaxation and the, the actual parasympathetic portion of this. So it's... That's, I want to I hit that point again because people tell you when they're trying to do something um, to help a person in a stressful situation, they'll generally say, take a deep breath. Mm-hmm. That's like a thing. But again, that deep breath, that inhalation is sympathetic. Mm-hmm. It's an exhale. So a better advice is, hey, take a long exhale. Right. Not a deep breath. Take a long exhale. Yeah. Let it out. Let it go, man. Yeah. So, so then with cold exposure and Wim Hof, you know, the, the initial act of getting in the cold water is sympathetic. It's sympathetic as hell, right? Like your initial reaction is... I'm going to die. This is life threatening. I have to get out of here. So the practice and where it becomes beneficial for everything else in life. And the reason so many people are drawn to it is that you're inoculating yourself to that response and training yourself to think through it, bring awareness to it, move from initial sympathetic reaction to parasympathetic and say, I'm really not in a life threatening position. You know, it's not a saber tooth tiger chasing me. Um, you know, this guy who cut me off in traffic is not going to, you know, harm me or my family, hopefully. Um, so what we're learning the same way your practice, you know, with, you know, when the person cuts you off is that you are avoiding or not avoiding, but you're, you're harnessing or kind of weathering the storm, if you will, you know, to reference, you know, Mm -hmm. some of the art that you have around here, it's, it's okay. I don't have to have a sympathetic response to this. You know, that is the limbic system. That's the initial thing. I don't have to eat the cookie. I don't have to eat the pizza. I'm going to breathe. And then I'm going to turn this into a parasympathetic activity. And that's why, I don't, have, have you been to a Wim Hof event or do you just do it on your own? Um, I've, I've been to a, a class. Okay. He's actually coming to LA next in November. Okay. So a lot of, uh, I got to co-host one when we were in Virginia beach and, and a lot of the way that they coach it is as soon as you get in the water, it's, it's a reminder to go to your breath and to breathe. Right. Cause a lot of people's response when they first get in there is to hold their breath. Mm-hmm. Right. Which is again, sympathetic. So I think what draws me to it, perhaps what draws you to it is that you are training yourself to stay parasympathetic or go parasympathetic as quickly as possible in an environment that would normally trigger a sympathetic response. Yep. It's not about the water. No, it's not about the cold exposure. It's what that helps us do in life because adversity is a given. It's going to happen. 
like you said earlier, we don't know what it's going to be or when it's going to be. But part of being able to show up to the best of our ability is to be able to not have a limbic system response when that stuff happens, but to be able to use our prefrontal cortex and to show up as the person that we would like to be in that situation. Yep. I've learned that, and I've talked about this before, but your life becomes a masterpiece when you begin or learn to master peace. And that, that inner peace that you have is in your control. And when you, uh, stop allowing other things to control you, like for example, you getting cut off in traffic, I can get all kinds of fired up. I can get sympathetic. I can have all kinds of things dump into my system. But who's paid for this now? I've paid a cost and someone I'll never meet or see again in my life had complete control over my, my bodily functions. Mm-hmm. And what's fascinating about that too is, I mean, we're kind of joking about this because it's, it's obviously something that both of us have brought in awareness to. I promise you, I'd be willing to bet that, that there have been situations where we've both responded the way we wanted to initially without even having, um, you know, a first negative reaction to it. But there have been other times where we responded maybe the old way or the way that we we're trying to get away from. And I think what would be fascinating is if we looked further into those instances where we had the initial negative response, mm-hmm. you would probably find a situation where we could look at something that negatively impacted emotional resiliency or HRV or vagal tone prior to that event. Maybe you didn't sleep well the night before. Maybe you had just checked email and something else, you know, triggered it or, you know, something else is going on. You're not in that quote unquote beautiful state or that appreciation state. Uh, Yep. I also want to point out that there are slip ups and you have to acknowledge them. mm -hmm. Um, you have to accept that they actually happened. That's another big one, acceptance. Yeah. And not only accept, but then have the ability to forgive yourself mm-hmm. and move on. Mm-hmm. That's how I handle a slip up. Yeah, I mean, we're human. We're yep. not robots. We're not perfect. Yep. And we're not defined by every single thing we do. Uh, one of the analogies that I use in the book and have always used with people that I, I coach is um, climate, not weather. Right. So people have been joking with us all week out here in Southern California about the weather, that it's unusually cloudy. Right. But typically we associate Southern California with sunny and 75. And, um, you know, that is the climate. Every once in a while, there's a cloudy day. It does rain in Florida. Uh, There are sunny and warm days in Russia, but those aren't uh, what we typically associate with those areas when you think of their climate. So you know, what is your climate, not your, your weather. And it's, it's about the norm, not the exception. Yep. Now let's get into some of the things to help you, um, elevate that norm mm-hmm. or to make yourself more gritty or, or, or improve emotional resilience. And there are things that you can do right now on a daily basis to start working on that practice. And since we kind of talked about it, um, already, uh, I think a good place to start is a, a cold shower. Mm-hmm. There you go, folks. Just do it. Yeah. Isn't it funny? Like, I, again, I've talked about this on, on a Wim Hof episode, but like the resistance and the growth that happens on just something as simple as a cold shower. Yeah. And the beauty of it. It's so powerful. Um, 
I, I've talked about this before when I was actually writing the book. I'm glad you were used the word resistance. I'm a huge, huge Stephen Pressfield fan. And, you know, he talks about resistance all the time. And maybe two or three days into the process, I, I turned to the cold shower and that became my, I hate morning routine, but that was my routine. Um, without the cold shower, there was so much resistance to sitting down in front of the computer and trying to get what was in here, my head, into the computer. Um, it's very difficult for me to sit at a computer for an extended period of time. And as you can tell in talking to me, I'm all over the place. So to, to be able to get this in a cohesive flowing format that was beyond the length of a blog post was a challenge yep. for me. Um, it was very difficult to lock myself in and do that. So the act of wake up, drink water, take a cold shower, be at the computer within 30 minutes of waking up. By the time I sat down at the computer after the cold shower, I'd already forced myself to do something that was less desirable than writing or typing. So, you know, Jocko calls it the first victory of the day, right? Or Pressfield calls it beating resistance. Like it's always there. Mm -hmm. It will be there every single day, right? Ultimate warrior used to talk about that too. And it's, it's every single day. So it, it's to me, the cold shower is like the, it's one of the cheapest, most easily accessible things. And I promise you it's not fun. I, I mean, it doesn't matter how many times I do it. I'll still get anxious about it. I'll still yep. not want to do it. Um, but as soon as you're in there, you're like, oh, this really isn't that bad. And then to be able to move through the rest of your day, knowing that almost anything you face the rest of the day is going to be easier than that. Yep. I almost took a warm shower last night. <laughs> I feel like I'm at like a cold shower AA meeting, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> Like, it's funny, the, the limbic system almost got me. Yeah. He almost got me last night. And I'm like, you know, it's kind of late. I start rationalizing, right? Mm -hmm. You know, you don't have to. You already took one earlier. It's okay. You can do it. And then the prefrontal cortex popped in. And I'm like, you know what? This is the moment you sh absolutely have to take a cold shower. You drew a line in the sand for yourself. You know, that's a little secret about me is that I do that a lot. And the thing that popped up in my head is, uh, who am I? Mm -hmm. And I, that's, that's it. Yeah. And then I'm like, I know what I'm doing. Well, and back to like the rocking chair thing and, and asking yourself that at the end of the day, like what if something happened today, God forbid, but memento mori, what if you found yourself in a hospital bed today and you're like, you know what? The last time I was faced with that choice, I took a hot shower. Mm. That's not how I want to go out. So sad. Oh man. Yeah, no. So that's, that's the cold shower part. Um, highly recommend it. A couple things um, to remember is it, it's okay to be uncomfortable. It is uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Be okay with it. Let your body do its thing. Mm -hmm. uh, I think each person maybe has their own little mental game that they play, mm -hmm. but just know that you're more powerful than some cold water. Right. It's just cold water. It's right. not, you just, it's just comfort. I think the faster one can get to their breath and focus on the breath and not the water, 
the, the better your success will be. Yep. I think one of the keys that worked for me, uh, I actually got this from my buddy, George Ryan from, um, uh, who, by the way, linked us up, right? And, and he to, and I, I got to give George a shout yeah, out. Thank you, George. He and I have not actually met in person, but we've been connected uh, virtually. Yeah, George, <laughs> man, he's fantastic. But he said to, um, to look up towards the sky and focus on your breath yeah. when I was doing cold exposure. Okay. And so at first I'm like... So there, there's a vagus nerve trick in there as well that has to do with safety and your defenses. So picture the postural positioning of looking towards the sky. It is not something you would do in the face of a threat. Yeah, you do it when you feel safe. It also put the focus like, I don't know, it was almost like a... And now granted, there was a, a roof above me. Right. But I looked through it. Right. And it really, it, ha, it actually had some a profound effect on it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, it's a good lesson. Right. And then the thing, the, the key that worked for me is a nasal breath in and then I... In the beginning, I exhaled slowly through my mouth and I kind of tightened up my lips. So like to help make it a little bit longer. Right. And then deciding I'm not going to let some water punk me. Right. That was really what it came down to. Right. Like this cold water is not punking me. Yeah. And I think, I mean, back to sort of how can you develop grit? It's looking for all of those opportunities to do that. It's strength is a choice, right? Mm -hmm. Um, We don't develop any skill or attribute by accident it takes repetition intentional repetitions right and it's looking at traffic as an opportunity to hone this practice of appreciation for automobiles and technology as opposed to being frustrated by traffic right or looking at a cold shower as an opportunity to do you know, do this to uh, you and I have both used physical training a lot. Uh, I think that's one of the more common ways that people try to develop grit as well. Uh, I mean, that's why military PT is what it is. Um, you know, developing grit through pushing yourself physically. Um, I love the question that you asked, you know, before you got in the cold shower last night, who am I? There's, there's so many little ways that we can kind of play those mental tricks with ourselves to bring back front and center. What are our values? And, you know, am I a sheep? Am I just kind of letting my subconscious, my unconscious, my feelings guide me all the time? Or am I making the hard choice? Um, I forget what we were talking about earlier, but you were mentioning something. And in my head, I was thinking, you know, that's why I always take the stairs instead of the Mm -hmm. elevator um, or the escalator. Um, You know, there's tons of little opportunities like that all the time. If you're just aware of them, like you said, you know, just when, when we are appreciative, we notice things that we wouldn't normally notice. So if you look for ways to develop mental strength, you will see that there are so many more of them than you thought. Yep. And that's kind of like a, um, like the 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 premise behind the obstacles is the way. Mm-hmm. Um, Ryan Holiday's book. A buddy, a buddy of mine once told me, caught me. And I'm glad he did. At work, I was walking towards the elevator and I walked past the stairs, and he said, "Hey, fitness is a choice. That's it. I can't get. That's it. <laughs> that's all it took. Yeah. It's like years ago, somebody said to me." Um, uh, Littering is a test of character, and now at no point in time will I let anything not go in the trash. Yeah. Like even if it's a tiny little 
like small wrapper that was in my pocket for two months and I fell out. I'm looking at it. I'm like, mm, nope. Right. It doesn't matter if anyone's around, but I am. And I'm like, I know this is a test of character. Yeah. It's, uh, what, what's the saying? Like integrity is who you are when nobody's watching. Yeah. Right. Are you doing things because you know people are watching or because it's who you yep. are? But mixing, obviously, in, uh, extrinsic and intrinsic motivation are important things to mix in. But right. uh, to get back into the daily things here, uh, we talked about cold showers. Uh, another really, really important one is remembering to be kind mm-hmm. and to focus and be deeply rooted in gratitude. Think about what you, not what you have to do, but what you get to do. These are things you can start, this is how we're building emotional resilience, how we're building grit. How we're uh, improving mental strength, and this, these are things that you can do immediately. Um, other things you talked about were uh, obviously doing challenges, fasting. Mm-hmm. Um, another one that stood out to me is, and I had this in a dream, and I have, don't know what the context of the dream was, but I woke up and I had this, these words in my head, and it said, "Do something." It was kind of like a okay got it so don't sit and do nothing you got to like get out and do something right and that doing something could be um i kind of looked at it as a challenge or, or you know what are you going to do with the gift that you have right now right um so some behavior modification things right so voluntarily subject yourself to adversity training mm-hmm. that is what my icebox is right my chest freezer and you know this and a lot of people don't realize it, but that is just a box of adversity training. It's a box of resilience training. Mm-hmm. It's a little like tool to get a, a tremendous victory over my day and over myself. There are some benefits to it. There are some uh, uh, adaptation that goes on. You have, you know, brown fat that you, know, you spoke about in your book, right? Um, those were almost included like anecdotally where yep. it's like, you know, I'm going to write the book. I have to at least mention uh, all the things that it does, but I'm, I, I think like you where uh, sure there's the browning of white adipose tissue. Sure. There's the cold shock proteins and there's heat shock proteins and yeah, it's like, I, Oh, there is. Okay, cool. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I'll take all those physiological benefits, but I'm purely doing it for the mental. Yep. I am. I am not worried about, the biohacker shit stuff. Sorry. You know that whole, um, and this is just me personally, but the, the whole biohack, the whole hack word kind of trips me out a little bit because I kind of feel like, you know what? You hack Ikea. <laughs> you, ha- you hack like cheap, dumb furniture. Are you really hacking the human body and the magnificent thing that humans can't recreate there's nothing more amazing on earth than the human body or i mean other or even animal bodies this is but the the whole so hacking it i'm like that's not ikea you're not you're not making a table right that's just me i hear it maybe it's just a lack of a lack of language or a thing that's kind of like gets people's attention i'm not sure but i think initially i was attracted to the idea of I mean, the term of, of hacking is like seizing control of a system, right? And biobiology. Yep. Um, I like the idea. I've always approached things as I want to understand the system so that I can own the information and do things myself. 
Yeah. So from that standpoint, I, I, I had an, an appreciation for it. But I understand also how the movement is viewed from those outside of the biohacking world. And I think that, yeah, there is sort of this air of shortcut. Yeah. And that's not what it's about for me. Maybe semantics. But really, I bet if if you ask the body, hey, body, are you being hacked? The body's probably going to say, oh, you mean returning to normal? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) No. Right. Oh, returning to how we're supposed to be? Yeah. Oh, okay. Call it what you want. Yeah. Um, So other things. Um, Movement. Right? And you mentioned there that movement, uh, motion is emotion. And the importance of movement. Now, I think for most people listening, they're probably into fitness, so they understand the importance of movement. Mm-hmm. Uh, but moving is something I feel like it, it, it still should be mentioned here. And you should be moving when you don't want to be moving. Yeah. So if it's one of those days you don't feel like doing fitness, those are the days that you absolutely should be doing fitness. And I'm not talking like, oh my gosh, I'm so broken down. I'm talking about like the limbic system is kicking in and being lazy. Well, that's what I was going to point out is the way, even the way you phrased it gave it away. You said you don't feel like it, right? And that's sort of, uh, again, I mentioned Pressfield earlier. I think, I forget which one of his books it was. Maybe it was The War of Art where he says, uh, the thing that we least want to do is our true north. And if it's one of those days where you just feel like laying around and you don't feel like getting off the couch maybe the thing that is going to make you feel the best that day is a light workout. You don't have to go set yeah. a PR, right? And and I love the way you phrased the 85-year-old the challenge, right? You know, you start thinking about how you feel and can you get up. And the way you posed all of those micro questions within that, I immediately went to, oh, shit, I got to change the way I train, you know, because I don't want to be beat up when I'm that old. Um, but no, you're right. Uh, uh, and Motion creates emotion. Um, Remember, feelings are mental experiences of physiological states. So if I put 30 seconds on a stopwatch and had you do as many burpees as you can in 30 seconds right now, your physiology will change in 30 seconds and your mental state will also be totally different in 45 seconds than it is right now. Um, So... This is sort of a a tangent, uh, but I mean, part of the reason that I wrote this book and explored some of the things that I explored is that, you know, I've struggled with depression or or mental health at at certain times. And it's fascinating to me to try to understand what's going on and why that's there. And I mean, you you see it all the time with with fitness and workouts and, and knowing that the things that you do there can put you in a better mood. Yep. Um, especially if you're practicing movement in a way that is a celebration of what your body can do, not say punishment for, you know, what you did over the weekend, or if you're pursuing some, uh, like arbitrary percentage based on linear periodization that says, you know, I have to do this many reps at this percentage today because yeah. I'm in week four of my program. <laughs> that stuff cracks me up. Yeah. <laughs> Celebrate movement. There you go. That's, that's like, that's usually the training program I operate under. Yeah. Celebrate movement. Yeah. Um, also just to, to point out to listeners, and this is something I've, I've recently 
learned about, and that is you can you can improve your your feelings similar to the thirty seconds of burpees by doing certain types of breath work. Mm-hmm. You can do you know breath of fire. You can Google that stuff or certain pranayamas out there that you which is think of like a uh, a forced inhale, passive exhale, like at a rate of like one per second mm-hmm. and just do that for 30 seconds. Mm-hmm. You're kind of going to amp up your, your sympathetic nervous system and it's going to make you feel good. Just be aware and be able to downregulate that. There's some tools and stuff that you can hack into to make yourself feel better. Right. So other things, uh, play. Yeah. That was, a, that's a big one. Cause it's you know, huge. Yeah. Uh, actually before, before I get to play, I don't want, I want to mention this and it's something I want to discover. And that is, I'm not ready to talk about it too, too much yet. It's an idea and a thought that I keep flicking around. And that is people like you, people like Logan, like myself, people that tend to be uh, insightful, uh, introverted. I feel like as, as awesome that is, I feel like also there's, there's a cost to it. And sometimes that cost could lead to some, some depression. Mm-hmm. I don't know if like this, a certain level of awareness and, inquisitiveness in a way kind of makes us sad yeah i I don't i think i'm sort of at a similar place in that exploration as you are i don't have the answers for it but i would agree with what you said and i think that i take a trip like this for example um you know i haven't had a lot of time to be by myself just based on the nature of our travel and as an introvert, I seek that out. And I, on this trip, I will get enough to stay sane, if yeah. you will. But it won't be enough to where it's too much. If I'm at home and I have a little bit more control of my time, I tend to err, maybe not errs, errs maybe not the right word, but I may spend more time by myself and shade on the end of the spectrum to where it's maybe too much and it does or could lead to some of that depression because there is, I don't know if it comes from the introspection or, or maybe just too much time in your own head and with your own thoughts. There's, there's for people like us, I think we need a balance of, of, you know, time with our own thoughts and time with other people. Um, one hundred percent. I even thought about like those those silent retreats and things, but I'm like, obviously, I, you know, I got kids and and, but I tell you what though, let's uh, let's put that in the you know, on the shelf for for now. Maybe at some point in time, well, let's explore it independently, mm-hmm. and then maybe one day, uh, the three of us will sit down and do a podcast about it. That would be interesting, right? Yeah. So, um. So back to playing and how important that is for happiness and, and resilience. Well, again, it's something we would never do in the presence of a threat. So by definition, it's a parasympathetic activity. Um, I'm fascinated by how, as we grow, how, as we become adults, we stop playing and I know a lot of people may immediately go to, oh, well, I go to the gym and I work out or I, I 
have a intramural basketball league or whatever. When it's regimented and scheduled and structured, it's not play. It's a thing. It's a thing on your calendar. And if you watch a kid, it's just play. And I was thinking about this the other day when, when we were in San Diego this past weekend, we were, uh, the, the three of us were, were working in a conference room. Um, and I just felt the need to move because I hadn't, you know, based on travel, I hadn't been able to work out the way I wanted to or whatever. And, and what I actually felt compelled to do was get on the ground and tumble. I wanted to roll, crawl, you know, whatever. Um, and, and the funny thing was, and I know I, I, I coach people to not worry about what other people think, but my immediate thought was, what are Josh and Ryland going to think if I just start rolling around on the ground like a crazy person? And then I'm like, well, what if it was a kid? What if it was your son? We wouldn't think twice. It's just a kid. We'd say, oh, he's just a kid. He's playing. He's having fun. But if you did it. Stop or, it. You can't have fun here. Why is the response different based on our age? Um, uh, growing up is a trap, so don't do it. <laughs> The it comes down to obviously having a safe environment, but that's 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 a uh, uh, a symptom, not the cause. So, I, look, I don't. I think. I think. I don't know. I have to think about this a little bit more. But even the way the way school is. We were talking about earlier, I was like, I don't know if I did, it was on a, before we started recording or not, but how the school systems are kind of set up weird because a, a class setting, a school where we're sending all of our kids is set up to stop the kids from playing. Yeah. If, if it's class and the kids start playing, the teachers are telling them to stop. No. And so this starts to kind of like come to a certain point where it gets stifled. And I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm obviously, I'm in, I'm in a long-term project watching this stuff with my kids. Mm-hmm. One's almost six and the other is three. So I'm going to, first of all, I'm going to play with them forever as long as I can because mm-hmm. it's, it's like the, the best part of my day. Um, and they're, little, they're like my little Buddhas. I learn from them all the time. If you don't have kids, I, I recommend having them. They're easy, piece of cake. Just do it. By the way, uh, are you guys going to do kids one of these days or what? We're not. Well, it's good that you have that clear decision. There, there may always be the opportunity to, you know, have an alternative choice or, you know, I don't know, maybe technology will change if we decide to change our mind in 20 years or something. I don't know. But for right now, the decision is no. The opportunity to play is still there. Right. So, right. The, and, and to, to go back another, another game, here's another game that you can play with your friends. It may be as, a little different than maybe doing somersaults on the ground, which by the way is a tremendous amount of fun. And if you haven't done a somersault in a while, that's, I feel bad for you. Um, but even, uh, and this is something I learned from Kenny Kane years ago in the context of a CrossFit class. Here you are, it's on the schedule, you show up, and the warm up was knee tag. Everyone's just kind of standing around, and the goal was to just at the knee or below it, that area, is to go and tag as many people as you can. Something as simple as that. Right. 
and everyone was having a blast. Yeah. Just like a little play. Yeah. So that's another big one. Um, and, and what's, what's so important about that is it's unstructured. And I think no matter how you decide to play, and that's why I said, you know, uh, intramural basketball, maybe it counts or like, if, I don't, what's, we'll do adult league basketball or softball or whatever. Like, sure. Maybe there's an element of play in there, but I would recommend whatever you choose, making sure that it is unstructured. You're not counting sets and reps. Yeah. You're not timing it. Um, so you stress th- out about the competition, right? There's no restraint or confinement to it. It's just completely liberating and, and free and free of. Yep. That's actually why I stopped counting or timing um, my breath stuff. Okay. Like the, the breath holds in Wim Hof. Mm-hmm. Cause I, I started worrying about and like making it a competition. Right. So I'm like, mm, that's not why I'm doing this. Now right. I'm stressing out about the competition. I'm trying to beat myself and it's changed it. Right. Uh, nature and grounding. Yeah. I mean, I think anybody listening, I mean, even just your, your demeanor changed when you said nature. I mean, I think so many of us recognize that when we can't hear sirens or airplanes or maybe even see another human being or a sign of civilization that, uh, our mood changes. You know, there's tons of studies showing that simply looking at pictures of nature, uh, can alter, um, mental performance in a positive way. So, I mean, for however, again, however long we've been on earth as humans, we, we've been very close with and in close interaction with nature. Um, you know, that, that's, that's who we are as beings. And there's, yep. there's something very powerful about, uh, getting back into those environments. And I think, um, at least for me, um, the more I can do that, the happier I am. I feel that once, especially if you live in a city, um, what, once you once you go into nature, or let's say that, that yearning feeling, right, mm-hmm. that you have for it, and then the feeling when you get when you're there, I kind of feel like we've gone home. Mm-hmm. That's like the simplest way I can put it. Right. And, uh, and how important grounding is. So grounding is, or, or earthing, or... Yeah, I mean, you can call it either one, but... Um, and actually since, since the book came out, there've been a few studies, um, published showing, um, how circulation is improved, um, by simply having bare feet on the ground. Uh, we were actually watching a documentary on Nikola Tesla recently. And if you're familiar with one of his, uh, most famous achievements, it was, the thing that he did with the Tesla coil and then they put uh, light bulbs in the ground, connected them to a nail that was in the ground. And it was actually the nail in the ground that closed the loop, the circuit. So his light bulb would not have lit up if the ground didn't conduct electricity. So, I mean, if Tesla understood that and could prove that and utilize that, I don't have any hesitation in saying that, you know, I can put my bare feet on the ground and you know, there are some electrons, negative, uh, ions that are, you know, flowing into my body and, um, you know, the, the earth has a charge yep. is the point there. And, you know, if we can connect with that, um, you know, I'm not going to say it's going to cure cancer or, you know, any of these other benefits that a lot of people may want to try to claim, but you know, there is something there. Yep. I'll say it will help with you 
feeling better. Yeah. Just take your shoes off and go walk on the earth. Actually, it's a big component of uh, my post ice bath. Yeah. Is because I have some tiles out there and concrete, but it's not complete or not fully recovered or utilized if I'm not going and earthing myself and mm-hmm. getting in contact. And I don't know if it's like a, I don't know if it's my education or the feeling because I just came out of the, you know, 33 degree water, but the sensitivity to it. Yeah. It's super powerful. Um, anywho, that's what you guys got to go. Go try it. I promise you'll see what we're talking about. So we also talked about sleep. Yep. How important sleep is. Yep. Sleep is a, uh, man, okay. First of all, I could be a weird study because I sleep at night three or four days a week and I sleep during the day the other days. Okay. So generally, like, the, any point in time of the day is the same to me now. Mm-hmm. Like if you just say, hey, let's meet at 3 a.m. Like, all right, cool, where? Like, it's all like, it's all up to me. Like, it's no, there's no up and down. Right. And what it's done for, you know, I don't have a rhythm. Mm-hmm. I don't have um, any adaptation to sleeping at night or being groggy in the morning. So I've looked at other ways to improve the layer of sleep. Yeah. Or the quality, I should say. Right. But that's, that's me and that's for a whole other thing. But one is a chili pad so my bed stays cold. Mm-hmm. Keeping the room dark and as cold as I can. I have a little white noise um, depending on when my velociraptors are making all kinds of noise. Uh, other things, so other things to improve sleep. And these are other additions to help improve your greediness, and that is um, meditation. These are kind of going to flow together, but let's say meditation and float tanks. Yeah. Anything that is a parasympathetic activity and helps you wind down and move into that state will help you get into deeper sleep faster and improve So I just left work. Uh, all kinds of stuff that happens there. Parasympathetic, very much not so. Right. And drive home fast, lay in the bed, start scrolling, go to sleep. Is that healthy? That's the exact opposite <laughs> of what our prescription would be. Right. Um, one thing that's been helping me, because so I, I generally will try and beat the sun to sleep. Yeah. I try and beat the sun before it rises, I try to go to sleep. Okay. And the thing that helps me a little... And this, this is, again, um, down-regulating, um, understanding how the, the vagus nerve works and breath work. And then I watched a whole TED talk about it, but doing the four, seven, eight breathing. Mm-hmm. So four count, inhale, seven count, exhale, then an eight count hold. Mm-hmm. And so far, doing that, I haven't gotten to 10. Okay. Because I'm sleeping. Like 10 rounds. Yeah. Right. Okay. In fact, I, my guess is I'm probably out in the four to f- six range. Wow. Just like a little toy, a little thing I've been yeah. to help. And then I've noticed that I don't wake up as much. Okay. So I don't know. Yeah. L- another thing to explore. Yeah. Um, all right. So posturing. You wrote in the book, don't sit like a douche. Right. And I stole that from a guy named Aaron Alexander. He was a guest on a podcast. And I just thought that was a, a catchy subtitle. Uh, the the words that came to my mind was, and again, like, I don't know, the term douche, I was like, well, how about this? Don't sit like a victim. Yeah. Yeah. Or sit like somebody who cares about their health, their well-being, uh, their energy. 
Yep. Right. So your posture matters because everything you do matters. And I think you even mentioned it in the book, one of the Buddha sayings is how you do anything is how you do everything. Mm -hmm. So if you're going to sit completely like junk, you're probably not going to excel at everything else. Right. And not to mention, it's really good for your health. Let's just talk about that. If you sit like junk or sit like a victim over time, you're going to get shorter. Your blood system's not going to work. You're going to get some injuries. Right. So, well, and to your point on that, I mean, let's say somebody slouches or slumps down into a chair, right? And you say, well, it's because of the chair, right? That is victim. It is not taking ownership of, you know, what you do have control over it fits in line very well with how you do anything is how you do everything. Like there are certain elements of this seat of any situation that I can't control. There are, is something that I can control and that is how I show up. And I mean, is that not grit or Sisu, right? Yep. I mean, I'm going to sit in the most healthful or advantageous position that I can get into, uh, in this particular seat that I am occupying right now. Another thing I really like, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep going with this concept, and that is your body language, your posture, and your facial expressions matter when you're faced with stress. Mm-hmm. More so than when you're sitting calmly at a chair. So when you're in the middle of a hard workout, stand up straight. Stand up strong. Mm-hmm. Stand up like Superman. Smile. Smile. Smiling activates your vagus nerve because you have more cranial nerves in your face. So you're, you're taking control of that. You know what I don't like to see is this. Like, you know, like, this, like the victim faces, I call yeah. it. Oh, my gosh, I'm working out so hard. I'm just making my face do this. But, but that's when, like, it's, it's a mental check with yourself. And it's like, you know what? I, I, I came here. I, I got in a vehicle, whether you got on a bird in Santa Monica or you took an Uber or you drove there, you chose this. There are a lot of people in a lot worse circumstances physically and mentally right now that they didn't choose. You chose this. You're here for a reason. You might as well smile, enjoy it and realize, you know, what a gift, what a blessing it is, what you're actually trying to achieve here. And just that thought is, is you going to alter the way you do the rest of the workout. And like you said, the smile uh, activates the vagus nerve. Again, we don't smile normally in the presence of a threat. So it's a way to move from sympathetic to parasympathetic because again, physiology, our physiological state dictates our mental state. So your posture, uh, your facial expression, your body language, all of that stuff is what determines physiological state. Yep. And when you are at your most uncomfortable, ask yourself who you ask yourself, who am I? Yeah. And then act accordingly. Like, just because you're uncomfortable doesn't mean you have to have a victim face. Right. You can be in pain and look normal. That's just, I'm a saying. Like, you don't have to bend over. You don't have to sit down. Like, handle stress well. Yeah. So, when we did seal fit, uh, you weren't allowed to put your hands on your hips. And if you got caught doing that, uh, you had to do 10 no-handed burpees. And um, where I live now in Winchester, Virginia... I work uh, out of a place called Evolution Human Performance and Rehab, and uh, it's run by a guy named Scott Dolly. He's an amazing human. 
but they have a rule in their gym that you can't put your hands on your hips and you have to do like three burpees or something if they catch you. And, um, I, those are little ways to build in behavior modification training to think, okay, don't put your hands on your hips. Um, don't bend over and, you know, put your hands on your knees or grab your shorts. You know, I, I remember hearing that all the time growing up playing sports because it's a sign of being tired, right? If your opponent sees that, then they know they've got you. Yep. Right. So same thing with mouth breathing. Yeah. As soon as your mouth opens up, it's like, Mm-mm, there we go. Uh, all right. Here's a little more insight to how I bully myself. And it, for me, it works. And this is in those moments one, I think like that I have to, I'm earning my shield. Mm-hmm. All right. And so in my head, I'm I have to be strong enough to always hold it. If I'm bent over or something, what am I doing? My like, where's it going? And so a little thing that kicks me into gear as soon as like the little, the little Olympic system tries to trick me, I do this little thing. And I almost like, like as if I'm banging my shield. Yeah. And it's just a complete little, uh, a little, little recalibration yeah. to back to who I am. Right. It's, uh, it's, it's a little it's, thing that works for me. It's part of NLP, uh, that neuro linguistic programming. So there's, um, like you can, you can drop anchors on people. Um, if you're like a coach and you're into that, you know how to do it, but basically that's what you're doing to yourself. Yep. Yeah. Um, so there was one that I used when I first started my business. It was do it now. I talked about it in the book. You put a rubber band on your wrist and if you feel yourself procrastinating, you just snap the rubber band and you say, do it now. Feeling is understanding, right? Mm-hmm. So we talked about uh, posture, body language, facial expressions, uh, breath work. Now this is a whole gigantic one, but uh, we talked about the Wim Hof breathing. We mentioned Wim Hof. We didn't necessarily talk about the the, the breath work there. Um, I think one of the a good video out there is with um, Lewis House and yeah. Wim. He's and Lewis House is on his couch, and they and yeah. Wim is actually there coaching him through. Right four rounds it's like a 20 minute video right if you guys are curious i recommend checking that part out i also highly recommend doing the wim hof breathing mm-hmm. i don't want to turn this in a wim hof episode but again feeling is is understanding and doing that you're going to um give yourself a present right if you've never experienced it it's yeah. worth experiencing it um the one thing i will say is um we learned this when we did the Wim Hof seminar was that he actually doesn't do the breathing right before he gets into cold water. He separates the two, um, which I think is a common misperception mm-hmm. that, you know, that they're done at the same time. Yep. Yeah. It, there's other things to do prior. Right. Right. Um, but the main reason that you don't do the breathing prior is that you're intentionally, uh, hyperventilating and it can lead to passing out, which is why most people are laying down. Yep. Um, you know, so don't do Wim Hof while you're driving. Don't do it right before you get into cold water. All the disclaimers. Yep. But man, like there are moments, right? So we talked earlier, we talked about moments that kind of change and affect somebody. Um, the first time I really, really sent it and I really went for it mm-hmm. with the Wim Hof breathing is one of those moments for me. Yeah. That's why I recommend it to people. Just, you got to go for it, man. Right. Uh, gratitude. We talked about gratitude and, but there's also the practice of reframing. We kind of talked about it. We yeah. talked about some reframing. I, I think we've touched on it a, a few different times, yeah. maybe not um, by name, but a lot of what we've talked about of you know 
if you're in the car, just reframing the opportunity of dealing with traffic to appreciating the fact that you have a car or you have access to an automobile, that you have a cell phone that can call an Uber or whatever. I mean, that, yep. that is what reframing is. Highlighting opportunity and highlighting some you get to, not that you have to. Yeah, it would be, yeah. I mean, I think the, the, the highest level, most zoomed out view of reframing is uh, altering perspective, taking a, a different perspective on something. Yep. Um, Focusing on, and then again, if it's already happened, you can reframe it by focusing on the lesson, not the pain. Because mm-hmm. if you focus on the pain, you're going to sit there and struggle. Focus on the lesson, you're going to grow. So focus on the lesson. And I've talked about perspective before and just how uh, uh, one of the challenges I gave, I think it was uh, an episode or two ago, mm-hmm. was in your office or your bedroom or someplace you spend a lot of time, a lesson in perspective is stand up on a chair and now look at that and look how much different that looks to you. Right. And then think about that with everything else in your life. Right. Or something that came to my mind is... Um, instead of thinking, why did this happen to me? What choices did I make or what actions did I take to put myself in that scenario? Oh man, I think it was Will Smith that said in an old song, uh, what do you say? Your past, presi- past precision determines your future position. There we go. Okay. But he said it in a rap, so it sounded right. way better. <laughs> right. Because he's all articulate and he sounds great. So, um, being completely in control, right? So then we talked about, we talked also about turning off your defense mechanism. And that's another thing to highlight is, and to be aware of it. And again, deeply rooted in gratitude. And if you want to grow, you got to shut that thing off. Yeah. And I think also to highlight, cause again, awareness creates choice is just know that no matter what, when you get any type of feedback that generally isn't something that's immediately going to make you feel good, constructive criticism, whatever it is. If you receive some truth, understand that your limbic system is going to kick in and you're going to have a feeling. And that feeling is, is generally in, uh, defensive in nature. Initially. Right. Like, right. You're like, hey. Uh, you know. It's the ego. Yeah. Right. My ego wants you to like the shirt that I'm wearing. Right. If you say you don't like it or you have a comment that isn't, I love that shirt. But it's it's what you just said is is also touching on something that you love to talk about and that is the beginner's mindset right if if the the defenses are up or the ego is preventing you from learning or or moving forward i mean that's by definition preventing the beginner's mindset it's also gigantic uh um like lesson in humility Mm. and that oh man another thing is uh what i say I made a, a meme out about about it that love teaches you that you are everything, but wisdom, you are nothing, mm-hmm. and then somehow your life has to occupy in between those two spaces. Yeah. Um, I'm referring to the book now because I made a note in here. I drew actually, so I'm gonna show you. So what your book of how it affected me? There was a part in here that made me draw an Enzo circle or a Zen circle. Okay. And I made a note to the page because we're going to wrap up here. Ah, here we go. So, and you're talking about the 360 degree sphere and 
having understanding of that, what it is and, and how do you expand all those disciplines in your life? Obviously, we talked about the how, but how, to kind of close, channeling that what's inside of you and how to bring it out and what is a 360-degree sphere. Yeah, I think, I mean, we've both mentioned it already that we're both visual, right? And I think part of any journey is having some idea of what the direction or destination is, right? I mean, it's not, it's not about getting there. We're never there, but we have to know, we have to clearly identify the direction in which we want to move, right? And, and for me, the visual concept is to grow in 360 degrees as a human. And when I say that, uh, to me, that helps me to remember that there are more than, there is more than one domain or discipline, you know, relationships, fitness, uh, leadership, communication, whatever you want to mention. Um, and I think the analogy I used in the, in the book is, you know, there's a reason that certain people are considered well-rounded, right? So a sphere, think of a ball. And, and if you just put a dent in a perfect sphere and then rolled it down the street, it would not be round. It would roll untrue. It would wobble. And my goal, my visual is to not be out of round. And you think creating this, this book, because obviously the book, book itself serves a purpose, right? But what is the book serving for you? It's the book is written as much for me as it is for anybody else. Uh, it's, it's an exploration, uh, and an attempt to synthesize, download all of the information that I've been fortunate enough to, to receive and, and take in over the last five or 10 years and to synthesize and then disseminate it in a way that others can understand themselves, it's a user's manual, if you will. Um, it's not meant to be a, a how-to or a guide or a X number of rules or principles or whatever. It's understand the system that you have, that you are, so that you can then make informed choices as to how to uh, move forward. Well, I absolutely loved it. And you're right. It's not like a, a, a how a do this type of book. No. It, it's a, here's some information to wake yourself up, to get back in control, to stay in the driver's seat, and to understand who's in the backseat making all kinds of noise. And that you are in control of that. Right. So I, I actually, I know the book had just came uh, out. But it's funny, once, uh, you know, I don't know the exact moment that, I caught awareness of you, but there was like this, um, looking at some of the stuff you're doing. And then especially when I started reading the book, I was like, it's like, wow, we're like, like almost like mirrors of each other mm. with some fog, you know, to, to use references from the four agreements. But there was some parts I'm reading the book. I'm like, wow, I feel like I'm writing this. And then I was like, wait a second. Now I'm learning from it. And so I highly recommend it. I think, um, I think especially for the listeners of this show is that if you like this style and the context and the conversations that happen here, I think this uh, definitely would have to go on the mandatory book list. 
I actually need. I've been talking about. I have like the hashtag going. Hashtag Sisu Way Book Club. Yeah. And that and those books are books that I like and think they're great. I haven't necessarily because of the show said, "Hey, this is a book you should read." This is like the first one that's kind of in between, but that's only because I just discovered I just got my hands on it recently. Right. But it's definitely going to um go up here on the shelf. I'll probably end up giving it to somebody because I like to do that with my books. But you just have to tear out the first page where it's No, no, yeah, I know, I know. Yeah. That's right. I have an autographed copy. Hashtag humble brag. <laughs> um, but again, it's, uh, you know, kids earmuffs. It's called fuck your feelings and master your mind, accomplish any goal and become a more significant human. And I don't know if this is going to be a lengthy question to kind of close out, but why'd you go with this art on the cover? You know, I, I I don't think I have um, a short answer, but I don't know if it's a long answer either. I, you know, we, we, we put a lot of thought into the cover. And I had a cover designer um, sent me... We went through two different rounds of iterations. And the first round he sent, I don't know, eight to 12 different covers. And... I put it out to a, a select group of people that I knew and, and asked people to vote on the one that they liked the best. And something about that particular cover really called to me. And of course the designer did his work based on directives that came yep. from us, me. I hate using I or me. I don't ever do anything alone. So I always say we, but, um, So you, you, the art, if somebody hasn't seen the cover, it's, it's Leonardo da Vinci's Vitruvian Man. And I don't know. I, there, there's this element of biology. There's this element of exploration, uh, curiosity, seeking to understand uh, timelessness, which is another thing that was in my mind the entire time I was writing this is I wanted something that would be timeless. I wanted something that wasn't, you know, a fad that would sit on someone's shelf and never be picked up again. I, I tried to think about a lot of the books that I uh, enjoy and appreciate and go back to. And that's what I wanted to create. And, and of course that is a drawing that to me represents timelessness. Um, but also, uh, I mean that, that drawing and, and a lot of, Da Vinci's work was way ahead of its time. Certainly not saying that that's where I am, but even if it just served to inspire me to try to innovate or yep. do something that hadn't yet been done. Um, you also have symmetry. You have an intersection of art and science. You have measurements. You have beauty. You have thought. And you have simplicity. Mm -hmm. I get it. I should have just let you answer the no, question. I, I, mean, I, kinda, <laughs> I, I, I understand. Yeah. I understand the, the why. Right. I just wanted to hear you articulate it. I think you did a better job of it than <laughs> I did. But, well, yeah. but then that's, you know, that's, that's me uh, having an understanding of the kind of person you are and being able to give a perspective from a, you know, a different position. So, yeah. And, and I think, I mean, what I love most about what you said is the thing that I am currently coming to grips with is that I, I've always, thought of myself as a scientist, 
but I'm learning that I'm actually an artist who was trained as a scientist and I'm trying to figure out how to find my voice and create what I really want to create as I go forward uh, to try to, it's not about shedding the, the constraints of science, but there is a rigidity in the way that yeah. uh, science is um, uh, taught and uh, I am much more drawn, when I consume information, I'm much more drawn to creators and free thinkers and artists as opposed to, like I'm not, I, I, can, I can understand uh, academic papers, but I don't enjoy reading that. I'm much more, uh, much more at home with artists than scientists, even though well, that's... Well, you're, you're, you're explaining, you know, science in an artful manner and you're you know applying science to art right well and you know this from coaching that you have to meet people where they are and most people aren't ready to i mean even you said you had to go do some research on some of the terms right and i remember my dad's an english major he's a writer he got this book and it was like he's like it's, it's too dense it's like can't read it it's over my head and what you see and what everybody else sees is what the editor turned into something coherent and, you know, yeah. legible, readable. But, uh, you know, the initial copy was even more dense and, and more thick. Uh, yeah, so, so to be able to try to figure out how to explain sciencey stuff in a way that is accessible to yeah. the people who need it so that they can use, you know, the information to do what they want to do. Well, outside of the link in the show notes, where can our listeners get it? Uh, Amazon is uh, one place. And then you can also get it on my website. If you want a signed copy, uh, that's what you get through my website. Uh, Sweet. I, I have copies at the house. I'll sign it and send it to you. It may not get to you as fast as Amazon does, but, uh, yeah. Well, you guys, I promise you, you will definitely, uh, if you liked anything that was talked about on this episode, you're going to enjoy it in further detail in the book, F Your Feelings. Um, again, thank you. I hope to, uh, I think this is the beginning of, of several more episodes as, as uh, the future allows, especially when you're in California. I would love that. Um, after you go down-regulate and get some you time and some solitude. Yeah. Um, also, uh, Along the same lines, um, same same heart and the same type of mindset and same space, you have the Better Human Project podcast. Yes, and it's something, you know, having an understanding of it, I still need to catch up because I have a, a lot of different those episodes that I like to listen to or want to listen to, because mm -hmm. um, I like your style and very thoughtful, um, very much like me, thoughtful with the words and direction and um, genuinely. Um, inquisitive with the guests so I, I enjoy your interview style and i think the listeners will too so if you guys like the show make sure you check that out i appreciate that and if they do check one out maybe look for a familiar guest that we're about to have on uh this scott mcgee never heard of her <laughs> <laughs> um social media yeah uh for me personally it is at ryan muncie underscore on instagram and that's really the one i use i try to limit and I don't want to be on a bunch of different platforms. And then uh, Better Human Project underscore is the Instagram for the podcast, Better Human Project. Awesome. Well, um, 
I'm not sure when this episode will come out, but if there's still time, if you guys are interested in joining the CCUA Whole Life Challenge team, that's going to go on. The link is on the CCUA Instagram page. That starts six week challenge. That's going to be fun. I'm going straight right back to paleo and drinking a lot more water than I do. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a lot of challenge, uh, challenging, but it's going to be great. And then we're going to use the proceeds for to, to help somebody that's showing a little bit of resilience and grit that needs a little bit of help. So plan on doing that. If you guys are interested in any of the CCUA artwork, posters and stuff, go to the CCUA.com. And I think you click on the store or merch tab. Um, check that out. We are going to be working on shirts soon. Um, there's a lot of the stuff that this show can be doing. Uh, doesn't mean we should be or um, I'm not going to necessarily focus on expending any more bandwidth that I don't already have like uh, used up with family and work. And I think that I hope, I think the listeners appreciate that this itself could be grown into a full-time gig, but I need to focus on what's important. and I don't want to sacrifice things or cause any more, um, you know, time vampire stuff. So I'm, I'm, I'm aware of that stuff and trying to do my best to control that. Yeah. And also to keep this thing as pure and as full of um, the right type of attention and love it deserves. We're not in a hurry. And remember, folks, health is wealth, vulnerability is strength, and strength is a choice. You are the master of your fate. You are the captain of your soul. So be unconquerable and get up strong. Thank you.